So you're probably wondering, the first question you're thinking is, why are we still doing Advent? Advent's over, we had Christmas. Well, there's a couple different reasons for this. We uh, wanted to finish where we were with Ruth. So we started a week late. And also we wanted to go through all the candles. And uh, we did it a little differently. Usually you start with, if you're familiar with the Advent tradition, people usually start with hope. But I wanted to end with hope because I think it's fitting for hope being a, uh, a big theme for New Year's, right? So we have hope for the new year. And if you're unfamiliar with uh, Advent, Advent means coming. Either we go back and we look at the first coming of Jesus, which these candles represent. And then we're also looking forward to a second coming. He's coming back. He's coming again. So we're looking forward, we're looking back to remember, we're looking forward in hope. And as an international church, like I said before many times, you know, I grew up without any sort of uh, tradition of Advent. Um, we didn't do anything like this until I came to Kuwait. But I think it's a beautiful tradition. I think it's something that's powerful. I think it represents, uh, I like this idea of remembering, but also looking forward that Advent uh, presents. And this week is our final week, and we'll be doing the theme of hope, like I said. So here's a passage we're going to use for that. This is from uh, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. We have your Bible. Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east. Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophets. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going to the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed onto their own country by another way. So, like I said, um, I wanted to finish out the last candle being hope because it is the new year. And hope is something, it's one of those things that we need to survive as human beings, right? It's like, it's like food and water. You cannot survive well without hope. Even if the hope is a lie, it's better to have 
hope than to have nothing because you have nothing to look forward to in life, right? A life without hope is probably as close to hell as we will get in this life. However, hope, on the other hand, can help us endure so much, right? Many of us, right, we've been through a, a pretty big, rough time the last several years of COVID, right? It's been, it's been, it's been rough. Um, but with hope, hoping that it will end, hoping that things will go back to normal, hoping that you will be able to see your friends or your family, that hope is very sustaining and powerful. So I want to talk about hope. So my first point from the passage is that hope is both powerful and dangerous, right? If you, if you refer back to the passage, right, you have these wise men, these uh, Jewish uh, people from Persia. They're called magi, magicians, astrology, maybe dabbling in some of that. But they were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for the Messiah is the anointed one. The Greek word is Christ. That's what we call Jesus the Christ. He is the king. He is the Messiah. And there are many prophecies in the Old Testament referring to this coming Messiah who would save their people, right? And these people wanted saving, right? The people of Israel wanted saving, especially they wanted saving from their oppressors because they've been oppressed. They're oppressed by the Romans and oppressed by the Seleucids and other various empires. They were a small kingdom. Right? And they've been impressed by it for many, many, many years. And now they got the biggest kingdom of them all of that day, the greatest empire, the Roman Empire. And they're, they're great because they stamped out any sort of resistance very effectively. So they were oppressed heavily by the Romans. That's what they wanted saving from. So these wise men came all the way from Persia, thousands of miles because they wanted to experience this hope themselves. They obviously were, had some sort of awareness or God had shown them that the Messiah is, is here, he's coming and to go. God must have revealed that to them. It's not obviously, you can't point to some specific text that says right now. So they did this many mile journey, even though they knew that he was coming, they wanted to see him. They wanted to go and see and give their gifts and their treasure and their treasures, right? They didn't want to sit on the sidelines and see what happens, but they wanted to investigate for themselves. These were, these were good guys. They wanted to see this, right? And they, they saw a star, and that actually refers to Numbers 22, which is about a star coming out of Jacob. That's when the Messiah will be born. So that is prophetic, way back in the Old Testament. So the Magi asked, and they get to Jerusalem, they're like, where is the Messiah? Where is he? Let's, are, 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 they're probably assuming they're celebrating. They're also getting ready. These Jews, these are the Palestinian Jews that have been there, the promised land. They came back, unlike the people from the Magic and the Persian Empire. Because Judaism had been as much of a worldwide religion as it could have been back in that day. But the, you would think the people that were there in the promised land, those would be the, the most holy of the Jews. So they asked, where is he? Right? This is a game changer. Jesus has come. Like, this is what we've been waiting for, for for centuries. For over a millennium, we've been waiting for this Messiah to come. However, they were not looking, right? They were Not only were they not looking, but they were scared. They were troubled when the Magi said this. 
right? Herod asked, and the religious leaders also were afraid. So Herod asked them, asked religious leaders, okay, what's the deal? There's a Messiah coming. You know, he was probably some sort of converted Jew, maybe not familiar with the Messiah. Where is he going to be born? And they said, uh, yeah, Bethlehem. That's what the scripture says, right? And then what does Herod do? He lies to the Magi. He says, oh, yeah, secretly, right? When you see the word secretly, usually not good, right? So secretly, he's like, hey, I want to worship him too. Go worship him. Give your gifts and then tell me. That's obviously a lie because if you look down further in the passage, Herod proceeds to murder all the children in Bethlehem two years and under, right? So clearly he's a liar. He's not interested in worshiping the Messiah, right? Why were they troubled? And the religious leaders too. The whole, it says all of Jerusalem was stirred up and troubled by this, right? Because these people, people like Herod, people like the religious leaders, they had a good life. They didn't want to upset the status quo, right? There's like, things are doing great. Religious leaders had money, right? Off the backs of their people. The Herod, the Roman rulers, right? They had a good life. If Jesus, the Messiah, was coming, that could upset what they had, except their great life. Even though they want the Messiah to come, but they're like, no, it's not worth it. I want the good life right now rather than hope for some, hoping in something better. Because this is pretty good. I'm going to take what I have, and hopefully Jesus doesn't show up. The religious leaders probably agreed with Herod to do this, to murder those kids. They were not, they, there was no resistance in the scriptures for this. And I think it's often true of us, right? We are often afraid to hope. We're afraid to, to have dreams, to have desires. Because we're afraid that uh, maybe God will say no. Maybe this is not meant to be. Right? So we hedge our bets. You know, we kind of downplay. Like, I kind of want to do this, but, you know, whatever happens, happens. We do this. And in my life, you know, Stephanie and I, we wanted to have kids for seven years. We couldn't have kids. We were infertile. We did everything. We went to the doctor's. We went to prayer meetings. We went, we did everything. We went to even the, the, one of the best doctors in the United States, paid a ton of money out of pocket for them to say, you have unexplained infertility, you'll never have kids. Right, but we kept hoping. And yes, it, it was rough because you hope every month you have this hope, you take these injections, Stephanie takes these injections. Okay, maybe this can be the month. You have this hope and then it's like crushed, right? You go through that cycle over and over. It can wear you down. And it says in Proverbs that a hope deferred makes the heart sick, right? If you have a hope and it doesn't get answered, it has an effect on you. However, God answered our prayers. Now we have two kids. I didn't even think we'd have one. We have two kids, and they're great. Ton of work, but they're great. We're so happy to have them. So the point is, we, should, we need to hope big. Like, what are you hoping for? We should have big hopes. We need to ask God to answer these things, answer our prayers, answer the things that we, we need in this life, to have hope. You know, sometimes we, we kind of overdo it by saying, you know, I just want to pray for God's will. 
And yes, we should pray for God's will, of course. I'm not saying we don't do that. We pray for God's will to be done. But the Bible also makes clear that prayer moves the hand of God. It never says not to have hopes. The people throughout the entire Bible had hopes and dreams and asked God, pleading, do this. Do this, God. Now, and God is sovereign and he's in control, but also we know that prayer moves the heart of God to do things. So it's, it's mysterious how that works, but the Bible makes it very clear that we are to have hope and we are to pray. So don't fear it. Don't fear having hope. You know, it says all the promises of God find themselves in Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean God doesn't say no or later. He can. Of course he can. That's not always yes right now. But all the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ. So we need to not fear having hope. Like Herod and the religious leaders did. Which leads me to my second point. That God gave us the ultimate hope in Jesus. God gave us the ultimate hope in Jesus. Sorry. So Israel was hoping for a king. They're hoping for a Messiah. And they had failed God's rule. Right? They failed. God, God made a law for them. If you obey this, I will bless you. But if you disobey, I will curse you. So they failed God's rule. They hoped for freedom from the Roman Empire. They, they hoped for freedom from taxes that just crushed them, that made almost everyone poor, and from the oppression. However, Jesus, he came to save them for more. You know, they, there's a saying in the business where they say, over, under promise, and over deliver. That's what Jesus did. Jesus over delivered, right? Um, these people wanted an earthly kingdom, right? The, the people of Israel, for the most part, wanted an earthly kingdom. We want it like in the good old days of David and Solomon. But Jesus gives an eternal kingdom, a kingdom far better than they could have ever imagined, right? Earthly kingdoms fade and fall. You know, it's interesting being an American, you know, people pray for America and we should pray for America, but it's just one of maybe many empires that will come, have their shining moment, and will disappear, right? Like the Roman Empire, the greatest empire in human history, right? That was the, that was the pinnacle of human civilization up to that point. And like every other kingdom on earth, it eventually disappeared, faded away, was sacked by nomadic armies, right? But Jesus' kingdom transcends every other kingdom because it has still remained 2,000 years later. Jesus' kingdom endures. It's not going anywhere. And it transcends different people groups and languages. And this kingdom is larger. I mean, today there's a billion people that claim to be Christians. Think about all the people who have been Christians in the past who have loved Jesus. Must be billions and billions of people part of this kingdom. That's the kingdom that Jesus gave them, better than they could have ever imagined with the kingdom in Israel. Israel also wanted economic salvation, right? They wanted to have their own freedom, they wanted to be saved from these taxes. 
But Jesus gives eternal salvation. Right? We sin against a holy God. That's our biggest problem. We've sinned against a holy God. And we are under God's judgment. And the true oppression is not from the Roman Empire, but it's oppression from God because we've sinned against him. We've broken his law. We've broken his heart. Right? We failed God. That's the oppression that Jesus came to save us from. And we could not keep God's laws. Right? We make mistakes by sin, by our nature, and by choice. We sin. We fail. <clears throat> like I said before, I have my own standards that I fail every day. So imagine failing the standards of a holy God. We do that probably every hour, every minute sometimes. <clears throat> But Jesus came as a baby. Christmas is to, to save us from that oppression, from that slavery to sin. Jesus lived a perfect life, right? He wasn't just a baby and stayed that way. He grew up, he became a man, he, had a, he lived among us, he was with us, but he did something that we could never do, lived a perfect life. Totally perfect. Totally perfect. And he deserved to go to heaven because he came to this earth in a perfect life. By his works, he could have gone to heaven and went back forever. However, Jesus sacrificed himself. He became a substitute in our place. Right? We deserve his punishments. But Jesus said, no, I'll take the punishment for them. Right? And he endured this punishment from God. So Jesus died a miserable, painful horrific death on the cross for hours, tortured to death. But that's not the only thing he suffered. He suffered spiritual agony, spiritual separation from God, spiritual hell, because he was absorbing all the sins I've ever committed, put them on Jesus, for all the people who would ever believe in him, Focused to a laser beam, and for hours and hours, that's what he endured on the cross. So what happens is, Jesus, after he suffered God's wrath, God's punishment for sin, once it was completely poured out, he died. And we get the righteousness of God. So everyone who believes that Jesus is Lord, that he's the Lord of our lives, he died in our place for our sins, Will we will be saved, saved eternally. We will be clean from all sin, not just past sins, but present sins and future sins. Because God looks at us. Remember, Jesus lived a perfect life. So God looks at us like he looked at Jesus. He sees the righteousness of Jesus when he looks at us, even though we are failures. Even though we have failed, we will fail, God. So we are saved from a spiritual death from hell, right? Our relationship with God is restored. And his resurrection, he didn't just stay dead. He came back to life, which proves two things, that the sacrifice was accepted, and B, that there is a resurrection. And this life is not all there is, right? Israel wanted a meaningful life. But if there is no life after this life, life cannot be that meaningful. 
If you, even if you had everything you ever wanted, if you knew you were going to die and that was it, and there was nothing, that would be terrifying. That would be horrible. Because it's like, well, nothing I do matters, right? I'm gone. When you're gone, you're gone. That's not, Jesus over-delivered on that too. No, you don't just get life in this life. You get eternal life forever. And the wise men understood this. Maybe not exactly theologically correct, but they understood more than most people because they worshipped him. Every Jew knew that you worship only one person, which is God. Every Jew knew that. There's only one God, right? It says in the Old Testament, there's one hero Israel this. There's one God. You worship him only. So they worshiped Jesus as God. They understood that about him. Not only that, they, they offered precious gifts, gold, right? Gold today is valuable like it was 2,000 years ago. Frankincense, myrrh, valuable spices and perfumes. These are, out of their treasures, they gave to him because this is how important God is. So if you believe, you can have that eternal hope, right? And I've said this before, but life is short and it's busy. And there's lots of things we're all good at, but in this life, we don't have time to do that. I've got to work. I've got to provide for my kids. God willing, we'll have grandkids. And then eventually you're gone, right? You, we will never go do all the things that we want to do. There's many things I want to do that I'll probably never get to experience. My bucket list is a mile long. Um, I'll, I'll never finish it. But if heaven is real, the hope of heaven that Jesus gives, then we will have plenty of time and opportunity to do these things, right? God wants to restore what was originally planned. And the plan was to work, work without toil, work without frustration, right? We will have an opportunity to, to work and maybe different jobs that we couldn't do in this life. Travel, right? It's a new heaven and new earth. There's still earth. There's still heaven. Travel. Relationships. People I've never got to spend a lot of time on. You can restore those relationships and grow those relationships. It's not seeing God himself, worshiping him. It's not going to be boring. Heaven is not going to be a boring place at all. It's going to be the best place. Because it's about all the best things about earth, they're going to be in heaven. But better and pure and perfect. That is a great hope. That is a great hope. And I believe that, you know, there's this there's popular movement called the prosperity gospel, which believes that you will have everything you want in this life. I believe in the prosperity gospel in the sense that, but it's not all, always in this life. We will have ultimate prosperity with God. God says yes or later, but I don't think he says no. And this is an exciting thing because in this life, yes, some things God might say, this is not for you in this life. You are going to have to endure this. That will all be paid back far more in the next life, right? I want ultimate prosperity. I want to have eternal prosperity with God, with Jesus forever in heaven. This is what we think very little about because we're so busy. We're so wrapped up in this life and the things we have to do. But we need to look ahead, look up, look towards Jesus. 
Because one day we're all going to be with him. We're all going to die. Sooner or later, we're going to die. And then what you think is on the other side of this matters. And that's the, Jesus, the hope that J Jesus gives us, that we can have true hope. So we can have risky hopes and we can pray for them because Jesus gave us the ultimate hope, his son. And because he's given us this greatest hope, we can have hope. My last point, we can have hope for 2022. So our relationship with God is restored. Jesus gave himself for us. So because he gave us the greatest gift, think of the argument from the greater to the lesser. God gave us the greatest gift. So how will he not give us little things that we need? Not always yes, but I think he does want to answer our prayers. He wants to give us meaning in this life, in joy and in pain. I think the wise men were changed after they encountered Jesus, radically transformed. Scriptures don't tell us this, but if they were, if they worshiped him and they gave gifts and then God appeared to them in a dream and said, don't go back to Herod, not a good idea. Imagine how that could have, that would change your life. You experience a miracle on that level, right? They said they rejoiced with great joy even before when they saw the star. Imagine how much after they got to see Jesus and hold him and worship him, right? They understood who Jesus was. I'm sure it changed their outlook on their journey back to Persia, encountering their friends in the Persian Empire, right? I'm sure they trusted God better for God's grace. I'm sure their daily lives were filled with hope because they saw what God could do through Jesus. They saw this. So what is your hope for this next year? Where do you want to thrive in your relationship with God? What do you want to do differently? Where do you want to grow to become more like Jesus? How do you want to be spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally healthy and restored in 2022? Yes, this has been a difficult year. I feel like I'm kind of crawling to the finish line on December 31st. It was a rough year. My family had a, had a rough year this year. My dad died this year, went to the funeral, got stuck out of the country for five, six months away from my own family. And they eventually came to us. I had real issues with my job because I was out of the country. I got a lot of pressure, a lot of stress from that. Almost threatened to be fired at one point. It was a rough year. It's like, wow, that was that all just happened like this last year. And I was thinking about that when I was preparing the sermon. A lot happened, and not just to me, but to many of us. Rough things, difficult things have happened. But God used it. Even though it was hard, even though it's not what I would have wanted at all, God used that. You know, I had extra time with my mom as she, we went through the grieving process together. And I was able, able to, to grieve and, and process without the kids, even though I terribly missed them. It was a chance for me to, like, think and, and focus on it and remember and, and help my mom go through this. We did church online, right? And then we actually eventually came back in October. <clears throat> came back in October to live church, and here we are. So we should write down our hopes. 
What are your hopes? Write them down. Don't be afraid to write them down. Share them with people, people you trust and people you love. Pray. See what God does. I think God does give us what we need to be faithful believers. Here's what Paul says. He's talking to the church community in Philippi after they blessed him with a gift. He says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So I want to consider what are our hopes and dreams for this year? And I do have a bit of a vision and hope for CIC in 2022. I don't think God is finished with Crossroad International Church. And here's what I, what I, as I was praying and thinking about this, our, I have three points of our vision, which is to reconstruct our understanding of the faith, rebuild our search community, and rediscover church and our gifts. There's a popular term in evangelicalism called deconstruction, which is you are deconstructing parts of the faith. And there's, there's aspects of that that are good, but what it ends up happening is that people end up walking away from the faith. People end up giving up on God. It leads people away. Sometimes it's helpful, sometimes it leads people away. And usually it's because people want to sin. People want to commit adultery and do drugs. That's what I've seen if you look on Facebook, deconstruction. What people end up doing is smoking marijuana and cheating on their spouse. But I do think reconstruction is, is important. Not just, we don't reconstruct the faith, it's God's faith. But we need to reconstruct some of our attitudes. What we what is Christianity and what is cultural, right? What things are important? What is the main thing in the gospel? And what things can we leave behind? Right? What is peripheral? Right? Is the order of our service is that critical? Right? If we did sermon first and then worship, is that's not that's not that's not hugely important. I think the main thing has, is the gospel, and there's things we need to re reconstruct. We need to do things differently. Like we have a constitution that we've never even shared with the, with the church yet, and that's our, one of the plans that we have is to get this constitution out in people's hands and have people talk about it and vote on it. That is something we needed to do, and also in our own lives. You know, I want Jesus to be at the center, but many times we put other things at the center. We need to reconstruct that. You know, there's a common mindset from a famous quote, this was in the 70s, that we, it says that we worship our work, we work at our play, and we play at our worship. This is 1970, pretty prophetic for today, right? Many of us worship our work. We work at our play, we play at our worship. We need to reconstruct it. That's not right. I want worship to be work. I want worship to be I want worship to be worship, and I want work to be work, and I want play to be play. And we need sometimes in our own lives we need to reconstruct that I need to do that. I can be obsessive about certain things. I need to let go. I think you do too. And we are looking for outside relationships as a church, networks, because we want oversight, we want caring, we want covering, we want partnering. So I've been exploring partnerships with different evangelical Christian groups. And as things unfold, I will I'll give you more updates. Because I don't we don't want this to be an island out here. And I I've, I've been talking to other pastors of other churches here when I'm a walk with, with pastors from Redeemer from the reunion, this church just this week. We I don't want to be alone. We don't want to be a, a, a lone island as Christians. We want to 
be part of the kingdom in Kuwait. My second vision is we need to rebuild community. And I am so grateful for all of you that have served and given and sacrificed. Man, I just think of so many, I'm going to name some names here, but if I don't miss you, it doesn't mean you don't, you're not one of those people. I think of a Jomalal and Lindsay. They stayed behind last week to help me clean up, and I was, that was wrecked after the potluck. Like, that was a big week. And they stayed and helped. I think of Martin and Margaret doing the sound right now, right? Serving, even though he had no idea, we walked through it together. Um, Mohan, who has brings like basically a bus every week of people to this service. And so many of you have done so much. And it's great. But I also want to see more. The, the more we serve, the easier it becomes for everybody. Because, you know, a common understanding of the church is that 20% of the people do 80% of the work, right? And I've seen this in many churches, right? There's a small group that do everything. You know what that leads to? It's burnout, right? I don't want burnout for anybody. And the Bible says in Proverbs that many hands make light labor, right? So if we all contribute, Daniel also doing the worship the last two weeks, not a singer, great piano player, but willing to step out in faith and do the worship, which he did a great job. Many of you have served, but we need more. I heard some great singing today. I mean, some of you need to be up here because I can't do it. That's not what I'm good at. I am terrible at it as a singer. But there's some great voices in here. Some people need to be up here doing that. And there's tons to do. You know, I, I really have a heart for children's ministry. And right now, Emily is back there with the kids. Because um, I think it, parents need a break. My, my wife can't come very much because she's got a little baby who runs around and screams. So that makes it really difficult to have a church service. I think a children's ministry is something we need to implement. But I can't do it all myself. I can't do it. Because then I'll get burned out. Right? I'm also thinking about possibly changing the time or the venue. I think the afternoon is a good time for some reasons, but I've had many people tell me, I like the service. Three o'clock is a difficult time. I have grad school. I have office hours. I have different things going on. Several people have told me that. I want to change that. I'll send a survey out because it might be earlier than we prefer. You know, this service I've been talking with the pastor about and maybe an eight o'clock service. It was pretty early for a lot of people. But instead of sleeping in, you take a nap later, right? So if your evening being taken up. And don't worry, I'll send out information as we get closer. And I want to get your thoughts and opinions. I think, it, but I think long-term changing the time to a morning time, because people go to church in the mornings. That's the, like the common understanding. I think we'll get more people long-term for that. Also, giving. Some people have been faithful givers, but we still need giving to be have to pay for this building. There's other expenses that we need to pay for. Like the wise men gave their time and their treasure, right? And there's plenty of ministries to do. You know, thinking of setting up Zoom, welcoming, setup, cleanup, social media. Life groups is something I'm also interested in. I want to start a, a couple of life groups. We have had life groups in the past. We haven't been able to get them. We can have that more intimate time. Now, today, it could definitely be a life group. But there's many times, like last week, it was, there's 50 people here. 
and you can't do the same sort of intimate back and forth. There's lots to do, right, as we rebuild our communities. So that, think and pray about this. Where can I serve, even in a small way, once a month, right, setting up this computer to do the Zoom call takes very little technical expertise. But it's one less thing that other people have to do if you can just set that up. And Joe Malau reminded me today, I almost forgot to do the Zoom. He's like, ah, oh, do we need the computer? Oh, yeah. So there's, there's, we need to have more people and more, more involved. Everybody should be involved. This is a team effort. This is not the Chris Freeman show. Everyone needs to be involved. And then finally, we need to rediscover the joy of church. I know it takes effort to meet. It's difficult. Right? We've been used to doing the online thing for so long. It's, like, it's so easy <laughs> just to sit at home. And yes, there's obviously times when we're sick. And if, you know, if COVID gets crazy again, money to go online. I don't know the future. But as much as we can, there's things you can't replicate, right? Singing, the fellowship. You can't replicate that well online. We, you know, we did it for like a year. It's not the same. We also need to rediscover our own gifts as believers. You know, I think you all have gifts. The Bible makes this clear. There's no one who's not gifted. Gifts of the Holy Spirit. We all have gifts. And I want CSE to you as believers, as members of this church, to discover your gifts and to use your gifts. That's part of my role as a pastor. It's when I see people using their gifts and finding God's joy and doing those things, I feel fulfilled. It's like, okay, this is what people, I want people to do what they're called to do. So think, I want you to think and pray about this this week. You're like, what has God gifted me to do? How can I rediscover? What can I, how can I serve this church, this small community? So as we conclude, let's remember that hope is powerful and dangerous. But we need not fear having hopes and dreams because Jesus gave us the ultimate gift and hope in coming to earth. He died on the cross for our sins that we can have hope of a life of meaning and purpose being reconnected to God and the ultimate hope of eternal life with him forever. And because he has given us his greatest hope, we can have faith that he will give us hope for this year of our Lord in 2022. Finally, remember the vision for our church is to reconstruct what it means to be followers of Christ in Kuwait, rebuild our community at Crossroad International Church in terms of growing and adding meaningful ministries to serve the kingdom. And let's rediscover a love for physical gathering and rediscover our gifts for God's kingdom. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this, this group of believers who have taken time out of their evening on New Year's Eve to spend hearing your word being preached and to hear your songs being sung, songs to you, God. I pray that you bless them each and every one of us as we enter this new year. I pray that all those who have desires and dreams and hopes, that they would be fulfilled, they would have their yes in Jesus Christ. God, bless each and every one of these people this evening. Show yourself to them in this next year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand up and I'll give you the benediction, which is a blessing. This is from Romans. It says, may the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And I pray also for you, you God, you give them a hope, this people, in a closer and deeper relationship with you, 
as we enter this new year. Amen.